How many of you know this story? Have you heard this before? Have you seen this before? All right, so uh, of uh, maybe all of the, the stories in the Gospel of John, this story is all about context. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the context of this story. And, and really, there are increasing levels of taboo in this story. There's increasing levels of inappropriateness. And so I'll, I just want to draw those out because it really helps to, uh, to solidify the meaning of this story. The first, uh, the first taboo, did you guys see it? The, what's, what's the first taboo? Do you see it? That Jesus is speaking to a, well, to a Samaritan, but, but to a woman. All right, so uh, uh, rabbis, the, the religious lead Pharisees, especially, like, they would not have engaged in conversation with a woman ever. Like, you know, especially a woman that they did not know. In fact, they took this to such, the Pharisees especially took this to such an extreme level that there was a, there was a segmented group of the Pharisees called the bruised and the bleeding, right? They were called the bruised and the bleeding because when they would even see a woman who was not their wife or sister or mother or daughter walking towards them, they would cover their eyes, Literally, and they would walk into, walk into wells and walk, you know, they would walk into buildings and walls and they were referred to as the bruised and bleeding because they took this so seriously uh, because to speak to a woman who is not your wife was, was, a, was an incredible taboo, especially if you're a rabbi or a teacher. You, this is just behavior you would never engage in. Uh, just an interesting side note, uh, this whole thing takes place at a well, at Jacob's well. I actually have a picture of it. You know, you can go, you can go visit this place today. Like, this is a real place. This is a real thing. Uh, the well is about 100 feet deep, so you need a long rope uh, to, to draw water from it. It's in the middle of a monastery now, but it just, okay, I love this question. Anyone ever been to Jacob's well? Okay, good. I don't have to call anybody a liar. All right, but yeah, it's, a, it's an actual place. Uh, uh, and, and you can, you can go and visit there. Another, uh, uh, thing about the context of this is what time does Jesus meet the woman at the well? You remember about noon. Okay. So this is, this is highly, highly unusual, uh, because women would have gone to the well, uh, in the morning or in the evening. And at least it, at, it at least it appears in this text that who else is at the well? No one. Why? Because they already went to the well. They went to the well in the morning and they went to the well in the evening. So why is this woman at the well in the middle of the day when no one else is at the well? Well, the text hints at it, right? Jesus draws it out. We find out that she has had how many husbands? And the man you're living with now is not your husband. So what do we know about this woman already. Why? Yeah, she likes men. <laughs> Why would a woman, uh, let me put it this way, she has a past, right? Um, she has a reputation. Maybe she tried to go to the well in the morning when all of the other women are there. How do you think that went for her? So now maybe we begin to see that she is an outcast, a sinner. 
noon when no one else was at the well was maybe the only safe time for her to be there. A lonely time, matching probably what was a a pretty lonely life. So she was a woman. She was an outcast with a story, with a reputation, but she was also a Samaritan. Um, uh, I think I have uh, I think I have a map. Do I have a map? There it is. So here's the ancient Near East. You see at the bottom of the map is Jerusalem. Up at the top, uh, Jerusalem's in Judea. Up at the top is Galilee. There's Nazareth and Galilee. And you need to know, like, there's, there's this whole story. There's a whole, like, 400 years of backstory about Samaria and the Samaritan. So if you look way back in your Old Testament, at different points in time, uh, the people of, of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, like, they all get conquered and exiled. Do you guys remember this? Uh, there's some of this of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bit. You know what I'm saying? Like there are times when invading forces come in and conquer, and when they conquer, they take the best of those people that they conquer and they ship them off to Babylon. Right? This actually happens to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem gets sacked. I mean, it gets completely wiped out. It's it's pretty much the grossest, like most painful story. If you if you ever read about uh, Jerusalem getting sacked, it's crazy what happened to the people. And the best and the brightest and the bravest, they all get loaded up and they get carted off to Babylon. But there's a few that remain, the remnant, right? The really the dregs, and. Those dregs, they, they kind of have a choice because as soon as the best and brightest are carted off, that leaves a space for more people and more countries to come in. And so sometimes the Babylonians, sometimes the Assyrians, sometimes other countries, they begin to bring their own people in. And this happens, uh, this happens in Judea, this happens in Samaria, this happens in Galilee. But there's a really important difference because when it happens to Jerusalem, These other countries come in, there's the remnant there, but the remnant of Israel and Jerusalem, they stay steadfast and strong and they don't intermarry with the outside influence. Like they don't engage with the other countries and the other gods, they stand strong and fast and firm, not like Samaria. Because when the area of Samaria is invaded, really they they talk about five countries Come in and fill the void in Samaria. Some theologians, and you can maybe make this reference too, reference these five countries like the five husbands this woman had. Do you see that connection? The Samaritans did intermarry, which meant adopting different gods and different culture and different. And so from the Jewish perspective, like there's there's maybe no greater sin, like, a Jewish identity is everything, right? We are the people of Israel. This is who we are. And to intermarry with other people is uh, to, to uh, uh, it's an unforgivable crime. But, but basically you, you are becoming a mixed race. You're becoming impure. And the Samaritans really, because of this, they, became, they became dead, in the eyes of, of most Jews. Um, they were not worthy of the name Jew. 
So there's a season that comes kind of after the exile where all the exiled peoples come back. You can read about this in Ezra and Nehemiah. You guys remember this? Uh, they return to build the temple and build the wall and rebuild Jerusalem. And at that time, there are people from the area of Samaria that show up to help rebuild the temple. Because remember, the Samaritans, like, we, hey, they, were, they started out all together. Uh, they, ha- they shared the Torah. They followed the Torah. And so when it was time to rebuild the temple, the house of worship, right, like the most holy place on the planet, the Samaritans showed up and said, hey, we're here to help. We got our hammers. We're ready to rebuild. And what did the Jews say? <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. And they really, like, they closed the door to faith. They closed the door to God. They closed the door to worship to the impure Samaritans. Churches are really good at this sometimes. And so there was no access from, for anyone from Samaria into the house of worship. So what do the Samaritans do? They can't get to the temple anymore. They can't get to the, the focus of worship. What are they to do? What, what, what would you do? Well, the Samaritans built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Like she, the woman even talks about it. And the Samaritans slowly over a period of time say, well, our temple is just as good as your temple. In fact, our temple is better than your temple. Our temple is the real temple. Our temple is the real place you get to worship God, not all the way down there in Jerusalem. So how do you think the Jews uh, in Jerusalem took this? I think they were thrilled. Uh, it, it was in a, I think it was in a period of some of the Maccabees. Uh, some of the Maccabees actually go up into Samaria to Mount Gerizim to the temple, and they completely destroy it all in the name of God. So it's kind of like, I don't know if this makes, Hatfields and McCoys. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, there was this ongoing resentment and bitterness. And, it, and it's been simmering for 400 years. So there's a story in your Bible. It's, it goes under the title heading, The Good Samaritan. But in the, in the Jewish mind, there is no such thing. Are, are you with me? They were an evil, impure, idol-worshiping people. And Jews wanted nothing to do with them. Show that map again, uh, Merwin. But there's a problem. Because do you see that Samaria is kind of right in the middle? So it's 120 miles from north to south in this, uh, in this ancient Near East place. Uh, Jesus in this story is in Judea and he's trying to get to Galilee. And so, you know, the, you know, the, the, the quickest way between two points is a straight line to go straight through. But, but it's important that you know, now that you know what you know about Samaria, that to go from Judea to Galilee should take about three days walking. But the Jews didn't go that way. The Jews would head across the Jordan River, go up on the east side of the Jordan River, pass Samaria, and then come back. And a three-day trip for the Jews 
took six days. But it was worth it. Why? Because we don't have to deal with any of those dirty, impure Samaritans. So what you need to see, now that you know a little bit of the context, of, or a lot, too, maybe too much of the context of this story, is Jesus didn't go around. Jesus entered in. His disciples had to really, like, things are, like, and the sense that you should have in you is, is man, things are really beginning to change. There had been simmering resentment for hundreds of years. And yet Jesus doesn't go around. He enters in. This story is actually like an incredible picture of the gospel message. In, In so many ways, you can get the whole thing in this story. And that's what part of the reason it's so important to John. Jesus enters into an impure people who the door of faith and God had been shut. He enters into uh, a conversation with a woman, especially a woman with a past and a history. He enters in, and I love that even part of their conversation is she's really asking, well, we worship over here, and you worship down there. And and there's 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 a question in there, and the question is, where can I find God? And Jesus changes the whole context of the, of the conversation. He uses what's right there in front of her and says, man, I, I would, you know, let's talk about water. And he offers her, he asks for a drink. She says, why are you even talking to me? You know, she's looking over her shoulder. He asks for water. Uh, oddly, like, we, it never records that she gave him any. And then he offers her living water. And I love this. This happens in John all the time. He offers her living water. He says, man, if once you taste this water, you'll never be thirsty again. And she said, that'd be great. I'm really sick of coming to this well. She asked, well, where, do, where can I find God? If it's, not, if it's not in Jerusalem, if it's not at Mount Gerizim, where and, and he gives this whole discourse about spirit and truth, which would be really worthy of your, your time and meditation this week. Dig into that phrase, man. It's, there's a time coming where they're going to worship in spirit and truth. And then Jesus does something incredible. Remember, people are in John constantly trying to discover who he is and find out who he is. Jesus just flat out comes out and tells her, I am the Messiah. The place of worship is not on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. The place of worship is no longer a place. It's a person. And the person of worship is far more important than the place. Like if you get the person of worship right, the place doesn't matter anymore. And that's exactly what Jesus offers her. A new place of worship. I didn't include it in the, in the Lumo video that you watched, but there is more to this story. Um, Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah, and the woman takes off. She goes back to her village, 
And she says in verse 29, she tells, she begins to tell everyone in the village, she says, come and see, which is, that's, that should also clear in your mind a little bit because those are the first words that Jesus said to his new disciples, come and see. So think about this, this woman with a history who is at the well just so she can be by herself and not picked on and not messed with, goes back into her village and says, come and see, I've found the one that has told me everything I've ever done. Come and see, he could be the Messiah. All right, there has never been a more unlikely missionary than this woman, right? She has the whole deck stacked against her and yet her message is come and see. And you know what happens next? Look what it says in scripture, John 4, verses 39 through 42. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay. Like, this is really fascinating. Like, they ask him, the evil, impure Samaritans beg him to stay. Jesus is going to go to his own hometown. He's going to go to his own family. He's going to go, and they're going to try to kill him, and they run him off. But the evil, impure Samaritans beg him to stay in their village. And so he stays for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed, what are those words? Savior of the world. There's another aspect of this story that, honestly, my dad kind of opened me up to it this week. Like, I love this, this deep connection. Like, you don't see Jesus beating her up because of her past. I, I think Jesus meets her kind of right where she is. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a divine interaction. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a holy happenstance. You know what I'm saying? Like, bam, how did she come and have this amazing response? And and I think Jesus does the most loving thing that this woman probably has ever received, right? He knows everything about her and still chooses to meet her and engage with her. And he offers him, 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 himself, he offers her her love. And in a sense, he offers, offers her a whole new life. Do you, do you see that? But he doesn't just do that. Uh, sometimes when I think about ministry or Bible or teaching, you know, like I've seen lots of guys that have been trained for ministry, right? If you heard this, this language, guys and girls, like we, we, we train up for ministry. We, we, we want to teach up into ministry. We want to, you know what I'm saying? We want to make sure they're grounded and have all this knowledge for, but Jesus doesn't do any of that. Like she doesn't have any training about who Jesus is other than her own experience. And my dad used this phrase this week, and man, it it has stuck with me in such a profound way. Because I think Jesus didn't train her up into ministry. Jesus loved her into ministry. You see that. He loved her into a whole new life. He loved her into a whole new beginning. All he did was love her, and she could not wait to share. What a powerful example for Christians to follow today. 
In just a few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of communion, and uh, we've got the table set up around the room. Uh, uh, if you're a guest with us, it's, just, it's part of our tradition. We think this is sacred space. It's a place for you to, to pray. It's a place for you to meditate. If there's ways I can pray for you, I'm going to move to the back, and, I, and I'll be happy to do that. That's, that's why we're here. We want you to chew on these words. We want to let the spirit of this text resonate in you, and, and we encourage you and invite you to come to these tables, but, but don't do so idly. Like this is, this is an important sacred space, and so in a minute, I'm going to pray and send you there. Before I do, I just want to finish with a couple of closing thoughts. In each of us, there is a thirst for something only Jesus can supply. She didn't know Jesus had what she needed. But in each of us, there is a thirst for something that only Jesus can supply. I love what it says in Revelation chapter 21. It says, to the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of life. So I want you to know the person of Jesus wants to meet you here. Maybe like this woman, you have a past Maybe like this woman, you uh, have a reputation. You've been an outcast. Maybe you've spent your whole life avoiding everyone else. I just want to remind you, men, the, the person of Jesus has come today to meet you here. Jesus didn't go around like maybe some of us have. Jesus doesn't avoid us because of our past or, or who we are, what we said. He didn't go around. Jesus enters in and he offers, he, he, enters, he enters in offering exactly what we need. He offers us the water of life. And so maybe the question for you as you enter into this communion space today is, is just simply, who have you been avoiding? Man, it's so easy. It's, it's easy for me to kind of get in our bubbles of personal space. You ever feel like that, that you're all just in these little jets and bubbles and you're kind of bumping into people, but you're never really interacting? You know, does that happen to you? Like you see these people and you're just kind of, you know, you're bumper carring along into each other. And what I just want to, I just want to tell you, like the life-giving love that can find you and has found you and is waiting for you in this place right now, the life-giving love that finds you and acknowledges you also compels you to go. Don't avoid your neighbors. No more going around. Just, just pop your personal bubble, Right? Remember what I said, Jesus loved her into ministry. And I think he does the same with us. So in the same way that Jesus didn't go around, Jesus entered in, I invite you, as you go to this table, maybe ask, who have you been avoiding? And I invite you to pray about that space, invite you to, to pop your personal bubble, and I invite you in the same manner of Jesus, I invite you to enter Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word and uh, um, just such a powerful, powerful thing that's happening here. So 
God, you, you changed her life. You changed her life. Like, and, and Father God, you can do that same thing for us. In a moment, you offered exactly who you were and, and everything she needed. In a moment, you, you had the choice to condemn and, and to chastise and to ignore, just like everybody else had done. But Father God, you entered in. And so, Father God, meet us here now in this place. There are those I know in this space right now that, that need that same interaction, that, are, that are, are going through life lonely and with this hidden stuff going on. And so, Father God, man, meet them right now. Meet them in this space. Let them come face to face with you. Let them experience for themselves the water of life. And today, God, they can begin again. They, she, she had a new life in that moment. And, and that's, the, that's the promise of, of the gospel. That's the promise of your son, Jesus. It's available to us now. And so, Father God, as we enter in, let us enter into the lives of our friends and neighbors. Because your love compels us into that space. Father, forgive us all our sins. Remove from us any inhibitions, anything that we're putting between you right now. God, just, just move that to the side and let us know again the fullness of your, your embrace, the fullness of life, the fullness of love that you offer. We love you, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,